Good morning, Harlem. Men who dream. We're talking about the women who dream as well, so just want to make sure we include that in there. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. We're going to continue on with our surrender series. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father God, we come before you asking that you will continue to uh, worship with us and help us to worship you in spirit and truth. Uh, God, as we've been focusing on the spiritual disciplines, God, I, I pray that you'll help us to see growth in our faith and our walk with you and that we can encourage the growth that we see in one another. Uh, God, I do pray that as we look into your word about learning how to surrender our lives to you, Father, that we'll learn and develop a deeper trust uh, in your word and your, your uh, plan for our lives, God. Even when it doesn't make sense to us, I pray that we can truly and totally surrender all to you. Uh, let my words be yours. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are continuing with part two of our series focused on the discipline of surrender. Uh, last time we were together, we discussed how surrender uh, means to cease resistance to an enemy or an opponent and submit to their authority. In our case, we're submitting to God's authority. Amen. Uh, biblically, it shows up in the scriptures as submission or denial, self-denial. Uh, I love the two quotes uh, that we looked at. Actually, I, I got a new quote, but I love this quote here by Dr. G, uh, Steve Kennard in his book on the spiritual disciplines. He says, but surrender isn't just about a one-time decision to make Jesus Lord. Surrender must happen every day of our lives as disciples of Jesus. If we want to grow spiritually, we must practice surrender as a spiritual discipline. For Christ to be formed in our lives, we have to learn the victory of surrender. I like the next quote here by A.W. Tozer, who talks about Christianity. He says, Christianity has been watered down until the solution is so weak that if it were poison, it would not hurt anyone. And if it were medicine... It would not cure anyone. We talked about how people want a savior, but they don't want a Lord and master. And when we want a savior without Lord, that's watering Christianity down. And therefore, we're also watering down our ability to surrender to God. When you water down Christianity in your life, you're also watering it down in someone else's life. If you don't expect yourself to be fully committed and fully submitted to God, you're not going to expect it in other people. That's where hypocrisy comes from. Where, well, I expect you to be totally committed, but I got reasons not to be. My back hurts. I don't like to read, so God understands if, if I skip on reading the word every now and again. I'm a loner. I've always been that way in my life. So God understands if I don't like to attend church. I don't like crowds. I don't like people in my business. So I have a reason not to commit. And then we water down God's standard, and that doesn't help our faith at all, does it? And so last week we talked about having in mind the things of God. If we're to learn to surrender, then we have to look at things with a godly perspective. And if we trust God, then we understand that God is out for our benefit, not to take away our fun. So 
in this pursuit of surrender, we talked about last week of having in mind the things of God. Today, I want to talk about ridding our hearts of disobedience. Now, I went, to, I went with this image because some of the images of disobedience today I couldn't put up on the screen. I'm like, yeah, I'm struggling looking at this, so I can't have everybody else look at this. So I went with the safest image. Some of us who are old enough remember James Dean, right? He made rebellion and disobedience look good. And his nice little red leather jacket, his immovable hairdo, he made disobedience cool back in the days. And today, disobedience has not changed. You know, society and the world glamorizes disobedience. So much so that it's attractive to our kids. They think it's cool to disobey their parents. What? You didn't do what your mother said? Come on, man. She told you to do what? And what'd you do? What'd you do? I said, man, listen, I'm 13 years old. I do what I want to do. There are movies about it, songs about it. And when we look at disobedience, you know, there are hundreds of movies made by famous actors and actresses glamorizing and glorifying disobedience. Risky business. Just the title alone. Grease. You guys remember John Travolta, right? Olivia Newton-John. Beautiful music. But what was the movie about? Disobedience. Easy A. Footloose. This guy goes to a town where dancing is banned, and he dances anyway. And his foot was loose all through the movie. Boys in the hood. That's just a few of the many movies glorifying rebellious behavior and disobedience. There's no surprise that disobedience finds its way into our relationship with God. And so we got to have a clear understanding of how God sees disobedience, how God reviews, how God views rebellion against him, against his word and his plan for our lives. Look at this scripture right here. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 23 says, rebellion is a sin, as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. God's first king. King Saul was supposed to set the example for all other kings after him. They gave him a very simple command. Wait for the prophet Samuel to come, and then everything else will be smooth. But instead, he disobeyed. And then when you read through the, the, the history of the kings that led, Egypt, that led Israel, you'll see that there is a pattern of disobedience. Throughout the scripture. And you see, God sees rebellion as sinful. He doesn't think it's cool. He doesn't glorify it. He doesn't glamorize it. Those are not the type of people God holds up as imitate that. No, God holds up those who are obedient even when the why isn't all clear. Because it shows that they trust God. It shows that they trust God. So, 
I want to encourage us today that surrendering to God is a good thing. That obedience is a good thing. You know, if we are to grow in our discipline, then we have to understand that obedience is expected. How many of us who drive follow that speed limit? Now, I'll be honest with you. The first time I saw 25 miles per hour on the Grand Concourse, I thought, surely they got to be mistaken. As long as I lived in New York, there is never a 25-mile-an-hour speed limit on the Grand Concourse. Cabs are breezing through. People are dodging it like a video game, dodging cars like a video game, until you get that ticket in the mail. And they're like, Mr. Warren, we're serious about 25 miles an hour. And you get angry. How dare they give me a ticket? That's, that's unreasonable. That's not fair. That's not realistic. But it's the law. It's the law. Let me tell you something. Getting hit by a car at 25 miles an hour can be the matter of between life and death by getting hit at 55 miles an hour. See, the big picture is we're trying to save lives here. And if everybody does, does their part, then maybe a few people can walk away with their lives if, God forbid, an accident does happen. But if we all drive at speeds that we want to because we feel like, no, this is the proper speed in the Bronx, along the, gross, the, you know, the Grand Concourse, because I'm in a rush. We're not thinking about life. We're thinking about us. So obedience is expected. You know, in Genesis, I want to look at someone who I believe ex exemplifies total surrender and, and absolute obedience to the point to where God chose to make him the father of our faith. He, God, he's been the poster child of faith, and I'm talking about Abraham. Look in your Bibles at Genesis chapter 12. Let's do a little reading here. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 5. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to lean over and look at someone else's Bible next to you. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 5, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, first thing that jumps out to me was that Abram's obedience was immediate. It says right there in verse 4, so Abram left. Now, if there was conversation between him and God, well, hold up, Lord, so which route should I take? Uh, do you want me to leave, like, right now, like, or tomorrow, or, you know, like, 
there was no there's no discussion there. It was Abram left as the Lord told him. Now, obviously, there was some preparation because he had to get his wife together. He had to get his families together. He had to have a conversation with Lot. Hey, I got a vision from the Lord. He told me to go over there, so I'm going. You want to come along? Now, had Lot stayed with his, his, his family member and, and, and followed his example of obedience, his life would have turned out a lot better. You can read about Lot on your own time. But we see that Abram got up and left. And here's the thing. When you talk about age, he takes away all excuses. How old was he when he left? Seventy-five. Some of us use our age as an excuse for not being obedient. Maybe God waited until he was a little wiser to call him. I don't know. All I know is that he was not a young man when God called him to go. His, his obedience was, was immediate. He did not question God's motives. He didn't question God's intentions. He didn't question God's plan. But God did set him up, though, because he told him, I'll bless you. I will make your name great. Sometimes we need that incentive, right? We need a little incentive. We're like, all right, Lord, I, I kind of enjoy doing things the way I want. What's my incentive of giving all this up to surrender my whole life to you? Now, you would think Jesus dying on the cross is enough. But sometimes we need to know that life is going to be a little better than it is now if we're going to give it up. And I think God understands our human nature in that way. So he set Abram up. He said, I will bless you. I'm, I'm choosing you out of everyone. I could have chosen anyone, but I'm choosing you. I'm going to make your name great. In fact, you're going to be a blessing to other people. So God set him up. God put it out there, just as he does each of us. Now, Jesus promises us life to the full. He promises us uh, that he would bless us in this life ten times what we give up to follow him. And so God doesn't expect us to just give up without knowing that he's going to still bless our lives. Now, as a parent, I expect immediate obedience from my kids. My parents expected that of me. And I never really understood why they would want me to obey or why they would tell me not to do something or, you know, to do something. But I had to trust that my parents know what's best. There was no negotiating, and there shouldn't be today. If your parents tell you to do something, you do it. Nowadays, we got to sit down and explain things to our kids. We're having many therapy sessions with our kids to explain why I want you to do this. With God, it was very simple. Go over there. I'll be with you. Trust me, you'll enjoy it. You'll like it. It's going to be a good thing for you. We got to now sit down and, and have all this conversation. And I'm like, man, you know, that's a piece of the old school that I miss. Because as a, an adult, now I can understand why my mother said don't do that. Why my grandmother said don't do this. Now I understand because there was a time in my life where I didn't. And I just had to trust them. 
you're not going to understand everything God calls you to do. You just need to obey him. And it's expected if we're to be disciples of Jesus. You know, research has shown that teenagers, their brains are still developing. Now, I don't fully understand it. I've read the research. I've seen TED Talks on it, and I still don't get it fully. But one thing I do understand is that the brain is still developing, which means that there is a part of the adolescent brain that does not reason. And I'm thinking, wow, so that makes sense. So that's why I did that when I was 16. And, you know, you start to reflect on this, you know, teen emotions and, and uh, you know, uh, self-regulation. We get upset at our kids for doing things, and we're like, yo, what were you thinking? How could you do such a thing? Because we're, we're past that power. Our, our brains, for the most of us, have developed already. Now, you can't delay that process by abusing drugs and alcohol. It does slow down the development of your brain function. So you could be a great, a 40-year-old man with an adolescent brain because you have abused drugs and alcohol. So as a result, teens can become more impulsive. They're moodier. They wake up in the morning, hey, they give you a hug, a kiss on the cheek, and then like five minutes later, ah, I hate the world. You're like, what just happened? You get in the car, listen to their song. Oh, I love that song. Halfway through the trip, I hate this. Why do we always have to listen to your music? What just happened? <laughs> and because the brain development and decision-making are closely related, adolescents aren't good at planning ahead and making careful decisions. So if you're an adolescent, then you're like, see, Ma, I told you I don't know what I'm doing. You're like, I don't know yet. So when you're a teen, when you ask, why did you do that? What were you thinking? And they say, I don't know. They're telling you the truth. They really don't know. Because they can't see past five minutes. They can't see five years ahead. They don't understand consequences the way you and I do. So what's God's solution to that? Children, obey your parents. Because you don't know better. Because your brain is still developing. Because your parents have lived life. Obey your parents. Obey. Because God has set them up to direct you and help you navigate through the forest of life. So disobedience acts against you and is not in your favor. Instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Whoever strives to withdraw from obedience withdraws from grace. When you stop obeying God, you're taking a step out of God's grace. You know, as adults, we too need to learn to obey. We too need to learn to trust the wisdom of those who have gone ahead of us. It's not just the teens. It's not just the adolescents. Even as adults, people have warned us. People have tried to encourage and, and, and direct us and, and teach us. And I know I'm an adult. 
We can't use the same excuse we used when we were adolescents, or I don't know. You're an adult, and we use that as our reason for why we want to do what we want to do. And God is like, look, obedience is expected of everyone at every age. Abram was 75 years old, and he obeyed God without hesitation. Obedience will be tested. When you see a sign that says wet paint, what is the first thing you're tempted to do? You want to test it and touch it to see if it's actually wet paint. Because you don't trust the person who put the sign up there that just painted the bench. You need to see for yourself. Right? I mean, it's just, that's our nature. We see something, do not touch. We want to touch it. We see someone say, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Why? I want to do that. And I really want to do it. And so we get to, and, and you know, we don't, we don't, we don't trust those who are, who are trying to help us. But God is like, your obedience will be tested. You look over in Genesis 22. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. You know, I remember as a young Christian studying the Bible, and the brothers told me, hey, you know, your life, you know, your, 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 your convictions will be tested. And it will probably come in areas and from, from people you're, you're not expecting. And they were so right. It came from the one person I least expected. In fact, the person who encouraged me to pursue God in the first place. And then I had a choice. I had to, I had to make a decision. Am I going to listen to this person or am I going to do what God tells me to do? And that's hard. It's difficult because, you know, we're, we're taught to... Obey our parents. We're expected to obey our parents. But what if your parents are encouraging you to disobey God? Obedience will be tested. But when you're surrendered to God, even obeying, God makes a way for you to still do his will. In Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, Sometimes later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. Reply, he replied, then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, here we are, fast forward. God has delivered on his promise to Abraham that he would make him into a great nation. He he promised him a son. Well into his old age, God delivers, finally delivers this promise. And now God is calling Abraham to give up that promise. To make sure that he is still obeying and ready to obey God. And so here we see verse 3 says, early the next morning, what did he do? He went and he prayed and he begged God, please give me another Give me another test. Give me another thing to do. No, it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. 
no hesitation, no arguing, no complaining. He got up, and he did exactly what God asked him to do. Now, to you and I, that makes absolutely no sense. That's like you praying for God to give you a a child, and you've been waiting and waiting, and finally God answers that prayer, and he does it in such a way that you know it's totally God. You know it's totally God that this happened. And then God says, all right, now I want you to give that child up. I want you to give away that blessing that you have been praying and waiting for. I want you to give it up. You see, God will often test our obedience. Not because he wants us to fail, but because God wants to refine us. There's greatness in all of us. And sometimes the only way we can see that greatness is that God has to chip away all the rough edges. God has to strip away all the excuses. God has to strip away all the weakness so that that greatness can surface to the top and so that we can see exactly what God sees in us. You see, it wasn't that first call that made Abram the father of faith. It was the second call to give up the one thing you love to put me first. And Abraham became the father of faith. You know, sometimes we hold on to our blessings. Maybe it's not your child. Maybe it's not a child. Maybe it's your career. Now, maybe God is saying, I got another call for you. I want you to give that up to do this. But Lord, do you know how hard I work to get here? They finally recognize me. I'm finally getting the pay I deserve. I'm up for a promotion and you want me to give this up? Yeah. And sometimes it's not just the act of giving up. It's are you willing to give it up? See, God is not a God that sacrifices kids. Which I thought was really interesting because at some point, Abraham should have decided, well, Lord, since we, since we uh, you know, we started sacrificing kids, like, when did we start doing that? But he didn't question God. No one else had done it before him. So he had no example. He had no reference to go back to and say, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, back when Adam, he did have Adam do. No, this was the first time. So this is a first for Abram in a lot of ways. But instead of, of, of arguing and complaining and questioning, he said, you know what? Amen. The Lord will provide. And Isaac is like, uh, why are we going up on this mountain? And by the way, where's the sacrifice you're talking about? And his father's answer was, the Lord will provide. Now, I don't know if God knew, if Abraham knew that God was going to say no. It doesn't say that. Some scholars believe that he had some inclination. To help, some, I, don't, I don't get that. I think he was intended to kill his son. Because the angel had to call out and say, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Now I know that you will not withhold anything from me. Some of us wonder why God hasn't blessed our lives. Maybe it's because God knows that that very blessing will keep you from being totally surrendered to your in his life. 
And you're wondering, God, why did you give me a husband? Because maybe you're not willing to give it up. To totally surrender to God. Well, God, why did you give me this? Why don't you let this happen? How come I don't have this? Maybe because God knows that that thing can come between you and keep you from obeying him. And so we sit back and we learn that, man, if I totally trust God, he'll provide a way. You know, that, 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 that was a great moment for, for Abraham. That was a refining moment for Abraham. In fact, he decided that he was going to rename the mountain. He said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And God wants us all to have that type of experience. He wants us all to have that type of faith. That when God tests our faith, that we're going to obey because God's going to provide. We don't know how, but he's going to provide. You know, I believe that the testing of our faith is to strengthen our character and deepen our trust in the almighty God. It's one thing to say, I trust you, Lord. It's a whole other thing to trust the Lord. You know, I'm convinced that I don't really trust God as well as I would like to when I react to a difficult situation instead of responding with faithful submission. You know, my kids have been begging us for a dog. That's not our dog, by the way. You know, we often admire the obedience a dog shows to its master. Archibald Rutledge wrote that one day he met a man whose dog had just been killed in a forest fire. Heartbroken, the man explained to Rutledge how it happened. Because he worked out of doors, he often took his dog with him. That morning, he left the animal in a clearing and gave him a command to stay and watch his lunch bucket while he went into the forest. His faithful friend understood, for that's exactly what he did. Then a fire started in the woods, and soon the blaze spread to the spot to where the dog had been left. But he didn't move. He stayed right there where he was, in perfect obedience to his master's words. With tearful eyes, the dog owner said, I always had to be careful what I told him to do because I knew he would do it. That's obedience. Waiting on God. You know, that's the kind of obedience I want. God's got to be careful what he says to James because he knows I'm going to do it. And I think when we start off in our walk with God, that's how we all are. God says, go, we go. We don't care what we leave behind. Quit my job. I've been waiting for you to say that, Lord. I mean, it's like, you know, you need to be to church on time, even if that means quitting your job. What? That's all I had to do? That's the reason? I'm quitting my job. Why? Because God says so. I mean, we, we, we started off, but then, you know, we started to mature a little bit. It was like, eh, wait a second now. Does God really expect me to be totally obedient? I wonder. I'm like, I'm like, man, James, does this dog put your obedience to God to shame? 
fire, the heat pressing upon it, and it stayed right where its master told it to stay. I'm like, if a dog can get it, how about me? When you know that God is in control, you don't react. You respond with faithful submission. Lastly, obedience will be blessed. Genesis 22, verse 15 through 18. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. How far are you willing to go to be blessed by God? What are you willing to give up for him? You know, Abraham's obedience to God, that was his lifestyle. That was a practice. That's the result of a surrendered life. When we surrender all to God, obedience comes natural. You can't have surrender without obedience. You have to rid your heart of disobedience if you want to learn and grow in complete surrender and submission to God. Over in chapter 26, we see how God has blessed Abraham's obedience. The Lord appeared to Isaac, his son, and said, Don't, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Isaac's life was blessed because of his father's obedience. And that should be good news for our kids. When your parents obey God, your life is blessed. And when you think about parents who disobey God and how hard it is for the kids, we don't often think about how that impacts our children, how our obedience blesses them. I can tell you right now, my kids don't realize how blessed they are that they have a daddy who obeys God. They have many friends and classmates whose fathers step out on their wives because they don't obey God. Bringing hurt and pain on the family. Who leave their responsibility because they've had it. We've weathered storms in our family. We've held on to our faith. We've obeyed when it wasn't clear. And my kids benefit because of our obedience, just as yours. Your kids, they won't realize how blessed they are that you are a disciple of Jesus. They may not get it until you're long gone. And they're reflecting on their life one day, and they're like, man, I am so grateful that my mother and my father held on to their faith 
Look at how I, I raised my kids because of how I was raised. If they see your obedience, that goes into their life. You may not see it right now because, remember, their brains are all jacked up. They're not, they're not there yet. But one thing they will remember is watching you obey God, watching you hold on to your faith, because they'll remember. They'll remember the prayers. They'll remember the discipling times. They'll remember every time you showed up to church and you really didn't want to, you complained in the car and the bus all the way there, and then you said, you know what, I'm glad we came to church. They'll remember that. And when they don't feel like coming, guess what they'll do? You know what, I'm going to go anyway. Because of the example my mama and my father set for me. Isaac was blessed because of his father's obedience. Parents, we got to ask ourselves, what kind of example are we setting for our children? Do they see an unwavering conviction of obedience to God and me? To his word? You know, most of the time when we're blessed by God, we think it's meant for only our enjoyment. But when God blesses us, his blessings are intended to overflow into the lives of others. Sometimes it may seem that things that we ask God, that God asks of us are unreasonable or irrational. But when we surrender, we realize that he has more in store for us. Now, one thing I've learned about God is that he doesn't expect us to do anything he wouldn't do himself. In John chapter 14, and we'll close out here. You know, God stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son. But God himself went through with it. In John 14, verse 28, it says, You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I am. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you any longer. For the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Because of Jesus' total surrender, he obeyed God. He had to learn obedience through what he suffered. Even dying a criminal's death on the cross. Because he obeyed. The blessings that come from that spills over into the lives of millions of people who believe in Jesus Christ. If it were not for the obedience of the one, we would have suffered the devastating consequences of the disobedience of the one, which was Adam. You know, I believe that a surrendered life is sustained by absolute obedience, which is motivated by love for God, produced by faith, and practiced daily. Amen? Let me give you a few practical steps. Let me keep it very simple. If you want to see this produced in your life, it simply starts off with praying for God's perfect will. God, I want your perfect will for my life. You know, God has a permissible will. That's that will where, all right, I'll let that happen. That's that Romans 1 will. Well, I'm going to give you exactly what you want. But I know what's better for you. So do you want God's permissible will? You want God to give you what you want just because you want it? Or do you want God to give you exactly what you need? Pray and ask God to make that will clear for your life. And then secondly, obey God's perfect word. 
If we have a perfect God and he gives us a word, doesn't it make sense to obey that? Doesn't it make sense to follow through with it all? You can't pray to God and not read his word in true obedience. We need God to be in our lives. And God wants to produce a blessing in your life. I hope this has helped you next week. We're going to be talking about trusting God, God's plan for our lives. As we already looked at surrender being, having in mind the things of God, ridding your heart of disobedience. And next week, we're going to talk about trusting in God's plan for your life. Obedience is expected. It must be instant, unwavering, non-negotiable. It will be tested. It's made of, it will build our trust or it will result in doubt. But either way, our obedience will be tested. And then lastly, your obedience will be blessed. And you'll see God use you to be a blessing to others. To God be the glory.